0: The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark.
1: As I said many years back, in the future, everyone will be Hitler for 15 minutes, as you'll know if you make the mistake of reading Twitter and the like. But although the left never ceases calling Republican presidents the new Hitler, the geopolitical scene does actually have a new Hitler this day. Adolf Hitler Unona won 85% of the vote in his election to the Oshana Regional Council in Namibia. His father named him after the rather more famous Hitler... His wife calls him Adolf very affectionately and he thinks it would upset her were he to change his name by law. Quote, the fact I have this name does not mean I want to conquer Oshana," he says. It doesn't mean I'm striving for world domination. Good to know. Adolf Hitler is a member of SWAPO, the ruling party, the Southwest Africa People's Organization, which has dominated Namibian politics since independence and before. Until the Great War, uh, Namibia was German Southwest Africa. After the war, it was given to his... Britannic Majesty's South African Dominion. The Germans were never the most benign imperialists, and it's always surprised me in Windhoek and elsewhere that so many German names survive on street signs and public buildings. But if middle-aged men are walking around with the Führer's name, uh, evidently the Namibians' Teutonic nostalgia is stronger than I'd thought. He's a swap-o man, as I said, so who knows, a couple of years, and he could be in the cabinet, and uh, Adolf Hitler could be having tea with the Queen at the Commonwealth Conference. Okay, back to last week's Hitler. I did six hours on Rush this week on the filthy, rotten, stinking, corrupt US elections, and I don't really have much to add to that, except I will note a couple of developments. First, Former Democrat presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard has tweeted her support for President Trump's call to remove the unique legal immunity uh, YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and the like enjoy under Section 230. Quote, I fully support you on this, says Tulsi. Please don't back down. The freedom and future of our country is at stake. Actually, The freedom and future of the world is at stake if the likes of Zuckerberg and that weird beard, Jack Dorsey, acquire more power as they've managed to do since the COVID lockdowns. Republican sellouts to big tech, like Senator Mike Lee in Utah, really should be primaried. But uh, I see that his H-1B giveaway bill passed unanimously, unanimously in the Senate this week. So I doubt he feels he's got anything to worry about. Meanwhile, from your crackerjack Department of Justice.
0: U.S. Attorney General William Barr says the Justice Department has not uncovered any evidence that would change the outcome of the presidential election. Barr directed U.S. attorneys across the country last month to pursue any substantial allegations.
1: Indeed, Mr. Barr says he sees no evidence to date of, quote, fraud on a scale that could have affected a different outcome in the election. So now the guy they sneered was uh, not the people's attorney general, but simply Trump's personal lawyer is a new media darling. No evidence of fraud that could have affected a different outcome. That's uh, not the legal standard, though, is it? No one argued that Carter Page and George Papadopoulos had effected a different outcome, but they investigated and surveilled them anyway and sent one of them to jail. It's rather like walking into a police station with seven bullet holes in you and the desk sergeant says, you're still alive, aren't you? Quit your belly aching. Election fraud is a crime because every election fraud is an attempt to effect a different outcome. To investigate it only if it succeeds is to mortgage your self-government to nothing more than the competence and the ambition of those who would subvert it. And the most basic of conservative principles is this. If you don't disincentivize bad behaviour, you get more of it. A quarter century back, Bob Dornan, a California congressman and indeed my fellow Rush Limbaugh guest host, was defeated by Loretta Sanchez by 984 votes. Bob produced evidence of hundreds of votes by non-citizens registered en masse by an Hispanic activist group, plus 128 votes that were illegally handed in by uh, somebody else, and 38 people who voted twice. And local prosecutors confirmed these hundreds of illegal votes. But as the New York Times put it, It is unclear whether there are enough to make up for the 984-vote loss by Mr Dornan, a Republican, to Loretta Sanchez, a Democrat. So no one did anything. What's the big deal? It's just a seat in the House of Representatives? So a few years later, the GOP's Norm Coleman held his US Senate seat in Minnesota on election night. Uh, And then his Democrat opponent, Al Franken, tied it up in half a year of recounts that eventually resulted in a 312-seat victory for the alleged comedian. Uh, it emerged that 393 convicted felons, with no right to vote, had nevertheless voted just in the two largest counties. Uh, that's more than Franken's margin of victory. But again, who really knows if all those felons voted for the Democrat? So what do you? What's the big deal? It's just a seat in the uh, United States Senate, and there's another 99 of those. If you do not disincentivize bad behaviour, you get more of it. If you can steal House seats, if you can steal Senate seats, it was inevitable that eventually someone would steal the presidency. I mentioned on Rush uh, that last time round, Hillary did not allege any specific fraud in any of the states she lost narrowly. Uh, There were no charges by her of dead people showing up in Pennsylvania or double voting in Wisconsin. And I received an interesting number of responses via tweets and twerks after Rush, suggesting that the reason the Democrats did not demand any recounts in 2016 in those tight states was because there was fraud, Democrat fraud. There just wasn't enough of it to overcome Trump's lead. So Hillary didn't ask for recounts because her totals would have gone down and the only fraud they would have uncovered would have been her own. That's a very plausible thesis. Carter Page, who has been sorely traduced by this dirty, stinking, rotten, corrupt federal non-justice system is now suing over the improper surveillance the rubber stamp Pfizer court imposed on him for years on end. So while Republicans are still litigating and investigating the 2016 election, the Democrats have moved on to stealing the next election, starting with the Georgia runoff. Uh, the kind of sorta, of, but not quite official, Trump lawyers, uh, Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood, said at a Stop the Steal rally this week that Georgians should not vote in the runoff until a Senators Leffler and Perdue spoke up enthusiastically on behalf of the president, and b. Georgia voters could be confident their votes were secure. Linwood, We are not going to allow ourselves to go back into the polling booth. And you hear us out, Governor Kemp. You hear me while you hide in your closet. You're not going to sell our votes to China. We're not going to vote on your damn machines made in China. We're going to vote on machines made in the USA. Well, actually, you shouldn't be voting on any machines. You should have paper ballots. All the rest is garbage. Garbage. And an invitation to what we euphemize as shenanigans. My friend Tucker is still getting clobbered on Twitter because a fortnight back he was thought to have dissed the heroic Sidney Powell. Now the loyalist of Trump loyalists, Newt Gingrich, is saying that by calling for Georgians to boycott the runoff, Miss Powell and Wood are being, quote, Totally destructive. So now there are tweeters saying the deep state's gotten to Newt, which means the deep state must have gotten to Trump too, because he's also opposing Sidney Powell and Lynn Ford, and is holding a big rally in Georgia uh, to get out the vote for the insufficiently Trumpy Leffler and Perdue. Uh, you can't tell the blood letters without a scorecard. Don't everyone's champing, champing at the bit to move on to full-scale bloodletting. They say a billion bucks will be spent on the Georgia Senate runoff and all the grifters will get rich and, as always, no money will be spent on more polling stations or more poll workers or scrutineers or anything that might actually prevent the Democrats stealing their second Georgia election in just three months. Everything is now, as they say in Britannic English, arse over tit. Some fella in North Carolina is apparently about to launch his 2022 Senate campaign. He can't wait for the certification of 2020. Uh, he, he He's already moved on to losing the next election. Uh, As long-time listeners know, few things bore me more than horse race politics. Ooh, Beto's up two in New Hampshire, Jeb's down three in Iowa. There's hardly any more guaranteed total waste of your life than pretending Cory Booker and John Kasich are of consequence. And a two-year presidential campaign which is nothing the founders would recognise or approve of, is ludicrous even before you get to this season's innovation, which is that you follow the horse race month in, year out, through the Iowa State Fair and the New Hampshire Pancake Flip, and it's all irrelevant because it turns out the only thing that matters is which boxes and USB drives are driven in unmarked vans to which poll counts in the wee small hours of Wednesday morning. The most significant fact of 2020 is that China runs the world. China has infected the world. China lied. China sealed off Wuhan from domestic travel, but China kept... The international flights taking off for Rome, Brussels, Vancouver until its gift to the planet had infected the Prince of Wales, the Prince of Monaco, the president of Brazil, the president of Belarus, the presidents of Honduras, Bolivia, Guatemala, Burundi, the prime minister of Russia, the prime minister of Kosovo, the prime minister of Armenia, the prime minister of the United Kingdom, the prime minister of Canada's wife, the European Union's chief Brexit negotiator. And yes, the president of the United States. We're told to listen to the science, the same hideously politicised science that on this side of the Atlantic held up the vaccine and brags about holding up the vaccine, lest it benefit a president the scientists despise, which is why, of all things, the National Health Service will begin vaccinating Britons on Monday, While in America, they'd rather people die than hand Trump a political victory. The global economy has collapsed. A third of all small business has gone under at least a third. U.S. debt is racing toward $30 trillion. And still, in America alone, the equivalent of a daily 9-11 dies from COVID. And Chairman Xi and the evil government that spread this around the planet will pay no price because the allegedly incoming quote-unquote leader of the free world is, in fact, a guy who's on the take from the leader of the unfree world, which is the very minimum Hunter's Laptop confirms. Two-year horse races are self-indulgent and decadent, and they're part of the reason. It's Gilles World, and we just live in it. Reality's turn to the dark and dystopic, it's time for a cheery escape. Mark Stein's newest tale for our time is P.G. Woodhouse's Smith, journalist. For a respite from the woes of the 2020 world, tune in nightly as Mark recounts the tales of a Shropshire chap-turned-New York publisher forced to navigate the
0: city's underworld, with several laughs along the way. Mark Stein's Tales for Our Time are available exclusively to members of the Mark Stein Club. Listen to this latest tale or the whole back catalogue by going to www.steinonline.com.
1: The Mark Stein Club presents The Hundred Years Ago Show A shootout over moonshine A presidential address with no president And a presidential inauguration that could use a helping hand It's December
0: 1920 A hundred years from today
1: news update the messy aftermath of the great war continues the prime ministers of britain france and italy couldn't have made their views more explicit they sent a joint note to the government in athens setting out their opposition to the return of king constantine to the greek throne and warning that all financial aid to greece would be withdrawn It was the Allied Supreme Council that forced the king into exile in 1917 because of his interference with the war effort. And three years on, the victors of that war have not forgiven him. Yet just a day after their objections, the Greek people have voted to restore his majesty. There were no other candidates for the throne, and Constantine won almost 99% of the vote. One of the new nations to emerge from the rubble of Europe's collapsed empires is the first independent Armenian state since the Middle Ages. It may not be independent or terribly Armenian much longer. The Prime Minister, Simon Vratsian has resigned and turned over control of the government to the pro-Russian Armenian Communist Party. Armenia's other powerful neighbour, Turkey, has forced the new nation to renounce the recently signed Treaty of Sevres and to hand back 60% of its national territory to the Turks. Argentina has become the first country to withdraw its membership in the League of Nations after dissatisfaction with the current assembly in Geneva. Buenos Aires was neutral in the World War and feels the great powers running the show at the league tend to divide the globe into the allies and the belligerents, leaving the concerns of many smaller powers sidelined. There is better news for the League's authority from the British government. Mr Balfour, the former Prime Minister and current Lord President of the Council, has submitted the draft mandates for Mesopotamia and Palestine, providing for British administration of the former Ottoman Empire territories, which since earlier this year have been governed by separate British High Commissioners.
0: Against her skin, she lost her mind completely when she lost her garden skin.
1: From the sands of the Sahara to the hills of Kentucky, the first major showdown between the new prohibition agents of the US Bureau of Internal Revenue, the so-called revenueers and bootleg manufacturers of moonshine took place in an isolated region of two Kentucky counties, Bell and Knox near the state border with Tennessee. Fourteen revenue agents and two U.S. Marshals are reported to have fought a fierce gun battle with over three dozen moonshiners, resulting in the exchange of over 1,000 shots during an attempt to serve arrest warrants. Nine of the hooch makers have surrendered, an unknown number have been wounded, and the rest have fled further into the border wilderness. Also in the United States, President Woodrow Wilson has delivered his last State of the Union address. And by delivered, we mean he gave it to the postman. Mr. Wilson became the first president since the 18th century to deliver the State of the Union in person as a speech before both houses of Congress, a practice many critics found vulgar and excessively monarchical. But this year, Because of ill health, the president has been forced to return to 19th century custom and send over his address in writing to each chamber of the legislature, where it has been read aloud by their respective clerks. Mr William Tyler Page read the text to the House of Representatives and Mr George Sanderson did the same to the Senate. It remains to be seen which habit commends itself to the incoming president, Warren Harding. the new president of Mexico constitutionally in office. Alvaro Obregon has been sworn in and thus formally the Mexican Revolution is at an end. General Obregon famously had his right arm blown off during a battle with Pancho Villa and his men and so he took his oath of office by raising his left hand. As many posters and placards around Mexico City have pointed out, however, the Constitution explicitly requires that a president take the oath of office by raising his right hand. President Obregon could easily comply. As upon the loss of his right arm, his men were instructed to find where it had landed and retrieve it. It has since been embalmed and preserved. And presumably, Mr. Obregon could simply retake his oath using his left hand to hold up his right arm. The Mexican constitution is silent on whether the right hand has to be connected. To one's body. In sports news, the new American Professional Football Association has played in New York City for the very first time with the game at the Polo Grounds featuring some of the past stars of intercollegiate football. The Buffalo All-Americans defeated the Canton Bulldogs of Ohio 7-3 before a crowd of 12,000 cheering spectators. Benjamin Holch was born in New Hampshire and became famous as a man of boundless Ingenuity and imagination When it came to tractors Combine harvesters Steam traction engines And the like His most brilliant innovation was continuous so-called caterpillar tracks for tractors that spread the weight and so prevent wheels from sinking into muddy ground and getting stuck. About 1,000 caterpillar tractors were ordered by the British Army for the Western Front, and it occurred to Colonel Ernest Swinton that there might be the makings of an armoured fighting vehicle modelled on Mr Holt's tractors. And from that came the British and French tanks that so changed the nature of ground battle in the recent war. Having transformed farming, road construction and warfare, Benjamin Holt has died at the age of 71. Boris Petersky was a Russian social democrat and a Menshevik. Then the Bolsheviks came. Last month, the Cheka, the Soviet secret police, arrested and jailed Batursky in Vitebsk. In prison, he contracted typhus. And so two days ago, they released him. Too late. Mr Batursky is dead at the age of 41, and Russian workers are threatening to strike on the day of his funeral. On the very day Armenia surrendered 60% of its territory to Turkey, a famous Armenian archbishop, Leon Chechemian, died in exile in the United Kingdom. Archbishop Chechemian was a founder of many churches during his time in the UK. A long-time resident of Belfast, he founded there the Free Protestant Church of England and later the United Armenian Catholic Church and later still, he was received into the Church of Ireland. Another cleric has died in exile, Cardinal José Sebastiao de Almeida Neto, the Patriarch of Lisbon fled during the religious persecution introduced by the recent Portuguese Republic. Taking up residence in Spain, the cardinal presided over the wedding of the exiled King Manuel II of Portugal to the Princess Augusta Victoria of Hohenzollern. The King of Spain, Alfonso XIII, has ordered that the cardinal be buried with full military honours. And that's the way of the world. December 1920.
0: A hundred years from today A hundred years from
1: today Oh, you know what this music means. Mark's Mailbox is on the air. Oh, we have a recent-ish member to our ranks, Greg from Utah. Greg writes, When our leaders, Bill Barr, for example, says there's no evidence of significant fraud, nothing to see here, move along, maybe it's time to have the conversation about how much election fraud is acceptable. Is it 1,000 votes, 10,000 votes, 100,000 votes? Someone should ask Barr how many fraud votes it would take for him to take action. Indeed, that's why even if these guys are determined to install the dead husk of a wannabe Ukrainian oligarch in the Oval Office, I'm with you, Greg. I would like a case to be heard by the Supreme Court and for Messrs. Alito and Thomas and Madame Kagan and Sotomayor to issue a ruling. On the precise number of fraudulent votes Americans should be expected to live with. What is the constitutionally permitted number of Civil War veterans allowed to vote in Michigan? If you uh, supported the Confederacy in the Civil War, are you permitted to vote? Or is it just those on the Union side? Indeed, given that members of the statue-toppling wing of the Democrat Party hate both sides, why is either allowed to vote? to the point where in certain districts they are a key Democrat constituency. Bill Barr's statement is most revealing, most revealing to me, of the awful tolerance for dirty elections uh, that that really should shame all Americans. Uh, I think they're still counting three House races in New York as I speak. Why? That's not a first world jurisdiction, that's a bleephole country, as Trump would say. Oh, you rube Canadians, with your quaint paper ballots counted by hand, with results announced by midnight. We Americans have this, all this state-of-the-art technology that can string this thing out for a month. Why? Why? I've mentioned a couple of times uh, the Bernie, Bernie Sanders, when he talks about socialism, always explains that, ''No, no, no, don't worry. Uh, I don't mean Venezuela. Perish the thought. I mean Denmark.'' ''And who doesn't love Denmark?'' Uh, ''Sorry, Bernie, you can't get into that club.'' Uh, The stench of all that 2016 fecal matter from Hillary is still hanging all over your suit. You've been walking around in it so long you don't even smell it anymore. You're Venezuelan. You can't hack it in Denmark because whatever you feel about those guys, they come by their socialism honestly. And you and the Democrats don't. There's never... Been any serious allegation of fraud or dishonesty about a Danish election, never mind widespread multi-generational fraud, so broadly accepted that certain precincts, uh, Cook County, Illinois, become a byword for it. Same with almost everywhere else in Western Europe. I will make a small qualification for the United Kingdom where the wretched Blair introduced Democrat-style postal ballots to the system with uh, predictable consequences. And, uh, and also where in Northern Ireland, there's always been a certain amount of uh, what one might call excess enthusiasm, shall we say, in constituencies that uh, were competitively divided between loyalists and Republicans. But even there, it was old school. Uh, you couldn't rely on dimpled chads. You'd got to you, you gotta dress someone up and send them along impersonating an actual voter. So for years, both papists and prods uh, favoured young girls and women because if they were caught, they were generally treated more leniently by the authorities. But the point, even there, the point to remember about Ulster is that that's at the very extreme condition of democratic politics. There are two sides, and the two sides do not agree on which country they're in, which is surely the minimum requirement for a shared policy. And uh, I confess uh, that I'm beginning to look on this US election the same way. Sidney Powell told me the other day that she's doing all this to save the republic. Uh, And I hear that phrase a lot uh, from, from the right. And conversely, Democrats are increasingly open about their support for a post-constitutional order. They're no longer hiding the fact that they're moving on to what comes after the Republic. So maybe this US election is not so very different from some of the livelier uh, polling booths of Belfast. The two sides no longer agree in which nation they're living. And thus, politics becomes tribal and potentially bloody.
0: And now, Stein Online presents Mark Stein's Song of the Week.
1: 100 years ago, December 6th, 1920, Dave Brubeck was born in Concord, California. He was a pianist, composer, led his own famous quartet and has the distinction Of having made the all-time best-selling jazz single, uh, according to the Encyclopedia Britannica. I'm not quite sure how they define that category. Perhaps our jazz maven, Gary Alexander, does. But it would seem to me necessarily to exclude a lot of earlier material by fellows who thought of themselves as jazz musicians but let's not quibble uh, the alleged biggest selling jazz single of all time is certainly one that non-jazzers know so here it is a one and a two and a oh wait no that doesn't work with this one They tried over 20 takes, and on each take, someone in the group kept losing the time. So they cancelled the session and came back a week later and nailed it. Take five. i Most people who aren't musicians nevertheless know a little bit about time signatures in music. They know a waltz is three-quarter time, three beats in a bar, Uh, fly me to the moon, and that sounds a little different from most pop songs which are in 4-4, four four beats in a bar, fly me to the moon, and that's all you need to know really for 90% of what you hear on the average radio station. But Dave Brubeck took time signatures to a whole other level in his compositions. His blue Rondo à la Turk is in 9-8, and his Unsquare Dance is in 7-4, and there's World's Fair in 13-4. But for this monster seller of the 1960s, he turned to the fellow playing the alto sax Paul Desmond, and told him he wanted a number in 5-4. Paul Desmond wasn't too keen on the concept, and he came up with two ideas, a minor key tune over a strong vamp, and a major key tune over shifting harmonies. And as he didn't like either of them, he took them to Dave Brubeck and said, you make the call. And Brubeck said, use both of them, one as the main theme, one as the middle section, because then it'll sound more like a song. It didn't sound much like a song to the executive nincompoops at Columbia Records. Uh, they thought it too weird to release, but fortunately, Goddard Lieberson, the president of Columbia, felt differently about it. It sold a million in nothing flat and then proceeded to sell a million more. And at the dawn of the 60s, 5-4 uh, wasn't really a thing in jazz or anywhere else. But take 5 helped make it a thing Uh, and a lot of musicians discovered that tunes they'd never really cared for sounded a lot cooler if you played them in five four my favorite things for example away from jazz a lot of other guys grasped that take five was cool and they wouldn't mind a piece of that cool here for example uh, the 1980s british ska revival band the special see if you can spot the difference boys and girls they're playing the world's most famous 5-4 tune in 4-4, just like every other tune. I have a rather tangential uh, connection to the specials, and I was told many years ago that they tried to play it in 5-4, but couldn't, and figured that the tune sounded just as cool in 4-4. Then again... (laughs) probably figuring that's the drunk busker at the end of the subway platform i gave a couple of bucks to as long as he switched to something more within his capabilities such as the wheels on the bus go round and round but actually no what you just heard was stevie wonder playing take five stevie wonder by now, you're probably saying, Stein, last week it was the Adagio from Spartacus, and before that it was Rodrigo's guitar, Conchetto de Aranjuez." Song of the Week is supposed to be about songs, and songs are music and lyrics. Well, I've just been taking my time getting round to that. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jacob Miller. Would never give the power to a bald head man to judge a raster man. Only a judge. Ain't
0: that no. the truth? One, one thing is the fight
1: number of vocalised versions of Take 5 by the reggae and Rastafarian crowd, but I believe that's the very first one from the early 70s by Jamaica's own, from Mandeville Jamaica, if memory serves uh, the late Jacob Miller The original lyric to Take 5 was supposed to be by the composer Paul Desmond's dad The Dave Brubeck Quartet were making an album with Carmen McRae And Carmen wanted to sing Take Five, so they needed some words in a hurry. But Paul, Desmond's dad, failed to deliver. And so with a bit of help from hubby, Mrs. Dave Brubeck, Iola, got the gig. Here's Carmen McRae. Won't you stop and
0: take a little time out with me? Just take five. Stop your busy day and take the time out to see I'm alive. Just so I can pass by each day Not a single word do we say It's a pantomime and not a play Still I know how eyes often meet I feel tingles down to my feet When your smile. that's much too discreet Sends me on my way Wouldn't it be better not to be so polite You could offer a light Start a little conversation now It's alright Just take five Just take five
1: You know, on the line, you could offer a light. Uh, Mrs. Brubeck is almost on the brink of something there. Guy and gal connect, but they're in no hurry. They want to take their time, offer a light, enjoy a cigarette. Let's linger on the moment. Let's take five. Let's make all the stops along the way, as someone remarked in a similar context. But they, she doesn't do anything with it, and it doesn't quite get there. I think my favorite lyric written just a couple of months after that one is the Swedish text by Beppe Volgers E New York, which means in New York. And no, it's not one of those starts spread in the news anthems. It's about being there at three in the morning when the city itself is a song. A last song in the night. Monica Zetter. <laughs>
0: Det var natt vi skulle och skulle hem klokken tre i New York Plötsligt hade allt bara hänt och man hade Ten New York var instrument Som in hot nervous hårt Någon musik Någonstans i stans ötslighet jag en finns allt det väckra, vet, Staden är musik Som mitt ebetroma hjärtat i dig Som en song in New York Jo, den snurrar hon för you, för dig för me.
1: In 1963, Monica Zetterlund represented Sweden in the Eurovision Song Contest, and she came last, rock bottom, and she became the very first of that select group of ultimate Euro losers who got the notorious final score of null points. No points. She would have been glad to take five, but instead she took zero. <laughs>
0: Lågan en hårdnervös musik Någonstans i stansetslighet Kände jag en nervositet Här finns alltid det väckra jag vet Stammlig musik Som mitt hebertrömmar hjärtan slår hårt i dig Som Så en sång i New York Jorden snurrar runt för fort för dig Fort för mig Som en gång
1: Love that record. Monica Zetterland was a great survivor of Swedish showbiz. She was a delightful lady, but she liked smoking in bed and one terrible night that proved fatal and her home caught fire and the inferno consumed her. Hope you've enjoyed Taking Five with Dave Brubeck on his centenary. He died eight years ago from a sudden heart attack while en route to a medical appointment. It was the day before his 92nd birthday, and they had a big party and concert planned for him for the following day. A long, grand life uh, that had nearly ended six decades earlier in 1951 when he damaged several neck vertebrae and his spinal cord, diving into the surf in Hawaii. He heard the first responders referring to him as a DOA, dead on arrival. He wasn't dead, but the nerve pain in his hands lingered so long that as a pianist, he gave up on the nimble, trilling, single figure doodling in favor of big blocky chords. Dave Brubeck, a man obsessed with time signatures who left his signature on the sands of time. Do it for today's show on Friday. I'll be conducting another Clubland Q&A live around the planet at 4 p.m. North American Eastern Time. That's 9 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time. Ask me whatever you want. What's going down at Fox News? What's the scoop on Tucker and Sydney? I'll have a few drinks beforehand uh, just to loosen my tongue and blab it all. Stay safe, stay free, and don't forget once in a while in these trying times Take
0: five. For another edition of The Mark Stein Show. The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.